Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So, um, yeah, we're still getting our arrangements together, aren't we? And the Dharma Hall, and uh, in some ways all arriving to this situation here. So if there's a way in which you feel like that's happening, both for people who are new, who are trying to figure out where everything is, and where you're supposed to put your dirty dish, and all that, and uh, even for those who have been here before, it could be that you experience your body and mind arriving in some way. Uh, and it could be that it's arriving differently than what you had anticipated. Uh, you're actually right on schedule. So, this is very normal and it's fine. And uh, we can sort of bear with each other, bear with ourselves as best we can uh, through this process. So tonight um, there's a period that was marked um, somewhat vaguely with various things happening, and this is one of the things, which is uh, Dharma talk. So I'd like to take some time to talk to you about the Dharma, the uh, teachings and practices that we're engaging in here. And like with everything that's offered here, the intention is to be helpful to you. Uh, It could be that it's uh, presented in a way differently than what you are used to or uh, have heard in the past. And the recommendation is to take what's helpful to you and then uh, if there's something that seems cryptic or perplexing, even wrong, uh, you could hold it with consideration Check it out yourself, and then leave in the question mark bin things that uh, you're not sure about. So maybe the first thing is I'll try to explain what is this this word that I'm using called dharma, and I'll continue to make adjustments here because I want to be able to look at you guys here on the side too. So the Dharma is uh, the teachings of the Buddha, as the often called the Dharma. And another translation is the truth of the way things are, uh, or actually nature. So that which we are studying and practicing here uh, at Gaia House in this uh, tradition is actually around uh, truth, around nature. Now the Buddha was actually a historical person who lived 2,600 years ago in northern India. So it was actually a human being who, in some ways like ourselves, had some questions about life. And according to the story, he decided to strike out, to answer his questions by going off into the forest and uh, engage in some spiritual practices. Does this sound familiar to you? Uh, and see if he could come up with some answers. And he tried one way, followed some amount of teachings, and then he tried another way, and then eventually he found his own way, 
and through his exploration uh, and practices of awareness, uh, the practice we're doing here now, he was able to answer his questions about uh, suffering and the end of suffering, about life and about who we are, uh, what's the, what is it all about in some way. So this is considered his uh, awakening or enlightenment. So the good news for me, or what's encouraging about this kind of story, is that um, he discovered through awareness of human experience, in this case his own human experience, uh, something that was freeing. So something that is possible for us all to see. So it wasn't that he went to the woods and he cooked up some very esoteric formula that you now have to memorize and... um, like work out in some way like advanced calculus or something like that or uh, like a different language. In some way it's a little bit more like discovering aspects of the way that the world already works and the world that you have been living in your entire life. But some dimensions of that that it's possible we haven't tuned into, we haven't paid attention to and so then in some ways um, we've missed It's possible that in the missing of it, we have lived out of alignment with this truth. So out of alignment with this understanding of nature, of the truth of the way things are. And in living out of alignment with this, then we have some friction in our life, some cause of uh, difficulty, of stress, unnecessary strain that's there. And this can be alleviated by having insight Uh, into this Dhamma, into this truth of nature, which is there for all of us to see in every moment. So it's helpful to remember that there's ways in which we already have learned things about the way things work and have learned to live in alignment with our understanding Uh, in ways that uh, help us live harmonious lives. So one example of this uh, from the physical world is uh, understanding of the law of gravity. So uh, babies, for example, are not born with understanding the law of gravity. And sometimes you might uh, see small children in their high chairs um, experimenting with this, you could say checking it out. So, uh, we have some props here. So maybe, you know, the baby will be sitting in the high chair and then we'll drop something over here, right, and see, like, oh, it falls to the ground. And then, like, well, what if you do it on this side? Also falls. And then what happens if you're not looking? (laughs) Also falls. So then after a while, you get the picture, right? That you understand if you try to place something in midair, it's going to inevitably be drawn to the ground. For some reason that you don't even need to know, right? Like you just need to understand how it works. So you don't need to know the mathematical formula for that. You don't need to know, like, is there somebody who is running that law of gravity? 
you just need to understand that this is some aspect about how things work and then learn to live in alignment with that. So then if I <coughs> have this glass of water, for example, I understand, once I have gotten this basic principle, that to live in harmony with this principle, uh, it's not a good idea for me to place this in midair. Because the same thing will happen that happened to all the teaspoons. It'll be drawn to the ground and it will splash these people in the front row and maybe broken glass and messes. So I can take a drink and then place it on some surface and then Guy House will be less mad at me and uh, things will go more smoothly. And once I've understood this principle, also maybe occasionally there'll be a time where um, you know accidentally something happened. This gets knocked off. So then, uh, still, I understand what's happened, so I can actually just go and pick it up, and it doesn't actually have to be such a big deal. So I can put this back, and it's minus the uh, dimension of of taking it very personally. Gravity, right? Like we don't have to take gravity personally. <laughs> So it's not like, you know, why me? Why now? Why did this happen? Right? Um, like you just understand it happened. And in fact, uh, yesterday morning I knocked a c- coffee decanter thing off the counter. And uh, being familiar with the law of gravity, then I could just clean it up, you know, without having to spend a lot of time perseverating about this or uh, something like that. So what I'm suggesting is that um, there are these, these laws, these ways that things work in the world that are in some ways equally as <coughs> obvious as the law of gravity now seems to us. And uh, it's extremely helpful for us to tune into them, to spend time learning about them, to understand them. Uh, and then through the understanding of it, in some deep way we can align ourselves with that and live in accordance with that. And this can alleviate a level of stress and strain and unnecessary suffering that's there. This also can help us to understand what it is that we can most reliably take refuge in uh, to come to the theme of our retreat. And it's because of our misunderstanding about the way things are, uh, because of not having observed or tuned into some aspects of how things work, that we tend to seek refuge in things that are inherently not going to be reliable, not going to satisfy us. And there's something very poignant about that, the way in which we do this over and over again. So part of our practice is uh, to observe ourselves uh, continuing to habitually seek security or safety in, in some ways in, in things that are not going to do it for us. And then to learn from that uh, through observation. So I'll mention a few of the you know, principles that uh, are there in the the teachings of the Buddha, sort of highlighting some aspects of the way things work that we might not notice otherwise, for your consideration. So one is that, you know, that which we call our life, our human life, uh, is actually not solid. You know, we feel like, here's me, 
here's my story, uh, here's my world, uh, and there's a sense of continuity about it that we believe in. So, according to the Buddhist teachings, that which we call ourselves in our life is actually uh, discontinuous in some way. So it's a series of arisings that we experience through our senses. <coughs> so there's the five senses that you probably learned in uh, kindergarten here. So seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, hearing. And then the sixth sense is considered the mind. So the mind is a sense door, uh, just as your eyes or nose or tongue or ears. And so what we call our life is this series of arisings of a sight, a sound, a smell, a thought, a taste, a touch, a thought. Thoughts are usually much more intermittently in there in the stream, right? And because, kind of like in a movie, uh, it looks continuous, but if you break it down, it's these different frames. It's actually separate pictures. We see it as continuous, but actually it's this flow of different experiences like that. So notable about these experiences is that um, they're always changing. That part we can kind of get at least intellectually, right? That uh, the experience of sight never stays the same, the experience of sound, the experience of the physical body. Conceptually, we think it's the same, like this is my hand, but uh, this is my foot. But you notice as you start to pay attention in a more uh, refined and granular way that it's actually a whole variety of different sensations. And probably even from you know, one sitting period here, uh, you get that sense that, yeah, the emotion that you started out the period with of dread or excitement, you know, shifted into boredom or uh, longing and then shifted again into sadness or peacefulness and shifted again and so on. Your thoughts also likewise have arisen unbidden and constantly shifting as well. And the experience of the body goes through all kinds of different things. Uh, every moment is actually changing when we tune into it and pay attention. So this is true scientifically. In fact, the body is constantly in motion. Our body is constantly changing mass of cells and blood circulating and food digesting and hair growing and cells dying and being generated. So a corollary of that is that uh, actually we are not really things and neither is anything. So everything's always changing and so for example we have a stand here that's holding our recorder. I think its name is Zoom, right? The recorder. It's like a wooden stand here as you can't see it, right? And it's, it's kind of beautiful. There's some carving on the legs, and um, I think it's meant for sort of prayer books or something. But now we have the modern recorder on it, it's our modern prayer book recording. So at one time, this stand was actually uh, a tree, 
like somewhere in a forest. And then at some point someone uh, cut down the tree, made it into planks of wood, cut it into little pieces, stuck it together. Somebody carved it and then it became this uh, book stand. And now it's here at Gaia House, serving its uh, purpose here. But also I can see from several of these wooden tables here, they're getting worn down. There's chips in them and little wearing around the edges. So at some point, uh, the teacher council or the trustees will deem them unsuitable for this esteemed institution. And uh, maybe they'll go to a back room for a while and um, eventually they'll disintegrate enough that uh, maybe they'll get tossed out. So then they'll decay, uh, be put out somewhere, and rain will inhabit them and soften them and uh, decay until they turn into some kind of pulp again and return to the ground. So this happens with a piece of wood over a fairly large period of time, but uh, you can get the idea that everything is in some period of a story like this. You know, I could tell this story about everything in this room. You could tell the story about the rug, the carpet, made from some fibers that's come from somewhere. You could tell the story from the walls, made of ground stone, like cement kind of stuff, right? Now standing like this. I could tell the story of the curtains, the cushions, the radiators, and uh, most saliently to ourselves is we could tell the story about our ourselves, our bodies, this entity here, as always in motion, as having taken birth at a certain point in this form, being on some trajectory of life, and then eventually uh, the physical body certainly uh, gets old and uh, passes away. And in this process, there's a way in which it's happening according to laws of nature. So that's true of the wood, and it's also true of ourselves. So in this way, there's a, a selflessness of the process. So we conceive of ourselves as being uh, the kind of puppet masters of our existence, but in investigating it further, we can often see that this is not actually true. So given that this is the case, when we try to hold on to things, when we try to make things last longer than they can, when we try to seek refuge in objects or items or people as if they were going to stay one way permanently, uh, then we suffer. There's this friction in life. There's a way in which we try to make things stay and they just can't. It's impossible. So, um, play this out a little bit more. We had some soup today. Celeriac, 
was it, Catherine? Celeriac, yes. I did not know this vegetable. Uh, but, um, so, you know, at some point, this soup was like this vegetable that I did not previously meet, and uh, it was in the ground, it's like a root or something, yeah. And then there's some uh, water involved and some spices, I could tell, right? And uh, it was cooked all together, and then it became for a little while this soup, celeriac soup. So it, it had its life, briefly, its brief life as celeriac soup. But then, you know, by now, after 7.30, uh, it's pretty much gone, I think, right? So it's actually in this room. <laughs> um, but it's not to be seen anymore, right? It's not to be found. Why is that? Because it has distributed itself uh, in substance into these human animals, right? Being digested as we sit listening to this uh, Dharma talk. <laughs> so things appear and disappear into each other, you know, all the time when this is happening. Um, our, our bodies are made three-quarter of water, I understand, which is the same percentage as the earth itself. And also I've, um, I've heard that it takes about seven days for the water in your body to sort of replenish. Meaning like, you know, you drink water and then it gets expelled through sweat and urine and tears and all this. So uh, I've actually been in the UK now long enough that uh, I also am made of the same water as those of you from the UK. So now we're three-quarter the same, (laughs) even though my passport is different. So these, you know, there are these, these principles and these ideas about who we are and um, pieces of paper that tell us this and ideas about identity. And yet, there's another way of looking at the world, of understanding the world, of what's actually happening that uh, reveals itself to be different. And our, our clinging to these certain identities, our clinging to these ideas about how things are, uh, can cause so much difficulty and stress for us in our lives. Uh, Both of ideas of difference, but even for us personally, of ideas of uh, what we can find safety in, where we can find ultimate well-being and happiness. So for most of us, for most of our lives, our idea about uh, finding refuge, whether we have employed this as a conscious strategy or not, has often been about trying to machinate the circumstance in our life to be favorable for ourselves. And if you imagine that uh, you could categorize your life into various uh, subject areas, like your financial life, your physical health, your family life, your career, creative life, maybe your automotive life, uh, (laughs) athletic, whatever categories you want. For most of us, we think, you know, I'll be happy when um, basically everything goes my way, right? So if we rate these things on a scale of 1 to 10, if I can get all of these categories up to 10 and hold it there uh, forever, then things will be good. And 
you know, when I say that, it sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Um, because it's, it's difficult in this life. Like, oftentimes, if your job is going well, maybe you're spending more time at work, and so then your family complains. Or uh, if your uh, creative life is going well, maybe you're not spending as much time making money. Or different neighbors move in who you don't like, who play musical instruments you don't like, and you have no control over that. Or People get elected to public office that you don't want to make decisions that you dislike, you know. And uh, yeah, all this stuff is constantly changing, is not solely under your control, even though it seems like there's some influence you can have, right? And even if for one blessed moment, you know, all these ones dancing around from one to ten come to ten, right? You can kind of breathe a sigh of relief, but I think on some level, even if we haven't figured out the whole thing, we know it's not going to last. So then, given a universe with everything's always changing, there's the dread of waiting for you know, the other nine shoes to drop and yeah. get a flat tire or get sick or something or another happens. So it's difficult for us, you know, it's difficult for us, and we can see the ways in which we're constantly seeking some, some way of, of finding a comfort, finding satisfaction, finding security in a world in which we're inherently vulnerable. As physical bodies, we're vulnerable, we're vulnerable to the weather, we're vulnerable to illness, we're vulnerable to <coughs> political winds, to actual weather, everything. So what does this all have to do with what we've been doing today? This may be around the time uh, in the retreat when you start wonder, like, well, why did I sign up to come for this thing? And yeah, I remember vaguely when I signed up, there was a good reason for it. Even, even those who had come before sometimes, maybe, like, yeah, I'm just sitting here feeling really sleepy, fighting, falling asleep all the time, feeling really restless, back hurts, it's really boring, they won't stop talking, I thought it was going to be a silent meditation retreat. <laughs> so yeah, what's, what's up with this? <laughs> so just one way to consider is that why don't we understand these things that I've just described about the way everything's changing and how we can't find some lasting satisfaction or a lasting security in experiential reality or in the material world. There's happiness to be found, for sure. You know, It's not just to be said that there's nothing there, but it's not going to be able to permanently do it for us. So one of the reasons is that we haven't been paying attention. You know, we've been... Uh, duped, I could say. So there's a way in which this practice and this period of retreat is an opportunity to cultivate this different way of knowing through mindfulness, through a loving attention, through presence. And then by simplifying your life down to doing only the most basic stuff and not having to be 
uh, distracted by content stuff in the same way. <coughs> we actually have an opportunity to observe for ourselves and that which I have described. Uh, observe this on a granular level, in fact, to see that, yeah, things are changing in this way. And when I seek some uh, center, some me who seems to be in control of it, it's actually difficult to find that one. So maybe that's not there in the way that I thought it was. So in tuning into that, we get a deeper sense of understanding in some way like this tossing of the spoons, you know, the way things work and the, the kind of insight that can rewire us and can realign us so that we can live lives that are more harmonious and free from stress in this way comes from this kind of uh, observation and understanding on a level that's deeper than intellectual. So what we're doing here is different than just reading books about it. We're actually learning to observe it, seeing this through your own experience in some way, so that your understanding of this will be unshakable and direct and known in such a way that just as if I stick my hands into this water and wonder, oh, is it cold or is it hot? I know from direct experience now. It's cool. And it's not because somebody else has told me that. And it's not because I think it was poured 20 minutes ago and it was this temperature. It's because I have the direct experience of that. And if someone comes and tells me that water is really hot, don't touch it. I know that's not true because I have direct experience of that. So it's a, it's a precious opportunity on, uh, on retreat. It's a beautiful way to live for some time. some of the process of this may seem not so beautiful. <laughs> so, so I know for many people, you come on retreat and think like, oh, I'm going on this solitary, silent, spiritual retreat. But then suddenly you're knocking around with 60 people all the time and you know, eating with all these people and uh, sitting close to all these people and walking back and forth with all these people. And oftentimes we find that things are not to our liking. So I don't like how the person in front of me is breathing. I don't like the place that I have to sit in the hall. I don't like the last seat that's available, dining room, it's facing the wrong way. I don't like that they don't have the green Tabasco sauce here. (laughs) I don't like that um, the weather is not (coughs) sunny enough for me. Too few rabbits, too many cows. (laughs) So you can just observe this, right? The ways in which this is the mind uh, reacting to a new circumstance. And as we go along, we'll talk more about how to work with this monkey mind and its ideas about things. But just to know that 
it's common. You know, you enter a new situation, you're kind of checking it out, and there's ways in which it can be difficult to adjust, or things are not according to how we wish. I was just complaining to Catherine, actually, about several things in the, uh, over the time of my being here, which it's helpful to have Dharma friends, really. So when as we, we had been traveling around a little bit, and um, after that I was saying, like, well, I don't know why I brought two pairs of shoes, because it's been raining the whole time. <laughs> and then she pointed out, like, it's not been raining the whole time. <laughs> it's been raining intermittently, and then it's been cloudy. <laughs> so this is the way the, the mind makes a story. You know, the mind chooses certain pieces of information and creates a story and then inhabits that imbues that with meaning and then uh, so part of the the benefit of this um, practice of mindfulness is we kind of can poke holes when we pay attention more closely uh, to what's actually true about experience about life about all of this stuff so even when your mind is cranky about things uh, adjusting to how it is here try to take it like a little bit with a grain of salt like my idea that it's raining all the time here. That, that was in Wales. That was in, oh, that was in Wales. I'm just being corrected. That was, that was not here. That was in Wales. <laughs> but also just some compassion, you know, because even in that mind complaining is embedded this ill-fated strategy of seeking happiness by wanting everything to go my way. And the mind's going to keep doing that. You know, this is the like, best strategy of the unawakened mind to an uncertain world. It's like, I'm going to try and make everything go exactly the way that I like it. Speak up. Yeah. I can't hear at all. Can I push it up a little bit? Let me try something. Adjustment to the sound system. Let's see. Has this got an elongation? Let's see if that extension is any good. A bit balanced system. Yeah. Is it better? Can you hear better? Dharma teachers are not like rock stars. We do not have good microphone management skills, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah, as you're here, it's, um, it's likely in your adjustment to being here uh, that your mind will complain about a lot of things. And you could look at this with some compassion uh, you know, as the strategy of the mind of trying to make everything go exactly how you'd like it to be. There's more to be said about that dimension of things, particularly as um, in this changing flow of experience, we find that there's a variety of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral circumstances that come. That flow is also largely out of our control. So there's some amount of awareness and tuning into the fact that we can actually be with a larger variety of circumstance than we think we can. 
without having to believe the reactive mind that it's impossible, that it's untenable, that uh, this in and of itself is making us uh, unhappy. So the refuge that we're going for, the ultimate end of the path, is uh, a well-being or a happiness that's beyond changing circumstance. So some unshakable contentment and ease that doesn't depend on the weather or the soup or how someone breathes around you. And this was the well-being that the Buddha found in his awakening. And it's also that which is offered to us 2,600 years later through doing these practices because the human mind and body is essentially still the same. So hopefully that's why the imported American Dharma teacher can still provide something helpful for uh, humans in this climate, too. (laughs) (laughs) And in my own uh, experience of practice, um, I practiced in the U.S., and then my family, my parents immigrated from uh, Sri Lanka. I spent some time in Sri Lanka practicing in some monasteries and... uh, The language can be different, the words can be different, but it's been inspiring to me to see, even as I teach in different countries too, that the basics of our human experience is similar, and that this practice actually works. It's possible that it can work for all of us. So, that's enough. Dharma words for today. We'll fill in many gaps over the week that we're together. So appreciation for you on your first day of uh, practice here. I know it's not easy and it can take some physical adjustment, mental adjustment, the momentum of the mind and the body screeching to a sudden halt here. Sometimes there's some smoke that rises. So it's okay. It's all just part of this uh, coming in for a landing. So I'll try to practice with some uh, kindness for oneself, some patience, and just keep with it. Keep with it with gentle persistence. And I promise you that something helpful and interesting will unfold. We can just sit together for a little bit.
May we learn to live in alignment with the truth of the way things are. May we recognize ourselves as part of nature. May we grow in wisdom and in love. May our sincere practice lead to complete freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.